Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and BC here on a delightful Wednesday midday uh, afternoon. we got to call it afternoon after 12, I guess. So coming off of a, another thrilling Nebraska game uh, in which they weren't able to take care of it during regulation and then lost in overtime, they are now 4-5. and five. And head to Minnesota this weekend. Guys, what uh, what would you like to discuss related to Nebraska football on this podcast? I don't know. There was just some scintillating Vikings talk a minute ago. Um, Sorry, we, we did interrupt you. You guys want to talk hoops? Let's talk hoops. And then there was silence. And then you guys start talking about Case Keenum. Warren Moon or something. I don't know. <laughs> Pretty good quarterback. Robert Smith. Brad Johnson. Yeah. There's a lot of. I didn't like Brad Johnson. Not a Brad Johnson guy. There's a lot of people in Minnesota, though, Scandinavians, who really like Brad Johnson. I you still go to games and they tuck the. It's guys who like tuck their jersey into their jeans. <laughs> Those are like Brad Johnson guys. They got the, the 14 Brad Johnson jersey. Yeah, jersey tucked into jeans. You don't ever want to be a jersey tucked into jeans guy. You by think the way. there's you're a Trevor out. Simeon fan base like that? I'm sure. Um, there. So what you're telling me is there's a large swath of Vikings fans with Brad Johnson jerseys tucked into their Bugle Boys. You, if you go to a game in Minnesota, you are going to see at least 25 to 50 men with a jersey tucked into jeans, and it's probably Brad Johnson. Like if I had to get, I didn't even have to see the number. I can see, just see it tucked in. I'd be like, oh, that's Brad Johnson jersey. Cool, you know. Oh, all right. Well, that covers the Brad Johnson talk. Uh, Nebraska does play Minnesota, so we're at least geographically in the neighborhood of of where things need to be. Let's just get into this Northwestern game and move on from it as quickly as possible. What were your main takeaways from this game, Brunts? Uh, very similar to what we've seen the last three years. I mean, I think you... It was a game where Northwestern was trying to give that game to Nebraska. Nebraska did not accept the gift. And, you know, it just seemed like, uh, you know, once again, Nebraska was kind of playing on its heels a little bit. Um, You know, I I think you can probably go back to a number of games in the last couple of years where Nebraska, it just seemed like the win was there if they wanted to take it, and they didn't. And... You saw the return of Bad Tanner Lee with the three picks. Uh, two of them he was hit while he was throwing, so it's kind of tough to, you know, really lay that at his feet. But, um, you know, you, you can't – as bad as the Big Ten West is, you can't win throwing three interceptions like that. It's just not, not going to happen. So those are my takeaways. Just, uh, you know, really disappointing, I think. And, and especially when – you know, you have this three-game stretch where Nebraska really needed to win those three games. Nebraska football, unfortunately for it, has entered the territory where you always expect the worst, it seems like. You know how there are certain teams, NFL, college ball, where you're watching, and it's a close game, and if it's like the Patriots or somebody, you're like, okay, you expect they're going to make the play and they're going to win, and there's other franchises or teams where you're like, okay, the shoe's going to drop. And that's where Nebraska is right now. So it's – the thing that sticks out to me is when the bad stuff happens, it's to the point now where it's like, yeah, of course that happened. Like, you know, when they get to the 19-yard line and you're up seven points and three points right there probably ices that game or puts you in a very good position to win the game. 
of course they throw the ball, and of course he gets hit as he throws, and it's picked off by a guy five yards down. In the max field. protection, yeah. the center and the guard both went yeah. after the same person, leaving open a gigantic lane to mm-hmm. just demolish Tanner Lee. But yeah. just watching the press box as it happened, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that that was about what was due right there. <laughs> that was that was the time for that play, and that didn't surprise me. And well, then, go on. Well, I was just saying, then, then there was the play on the on the drive coming back the other way where you, you get him in a third and long, and there's confusion before the snap, and Simeon finds a guy in the slot for 20 yards. Simeon. Like, Excuse me, Clayton Thorson. Oh, uh, future Broncos quarterback Clayton Thorson. I uh, he does look like a Broncos quarterback. He does. I know that's the worst part Um, because of the lack of accuracy. Yeah, there's a lot of just a general grittiness. (laughs) Trevor Simeon's not gritty, Um, but he hits hits him for 20 yards, and and the drive continues, and you you kind of knew how that was going to finish. Same way in overtime. I mean, if you knew that when they got to overtime that Northwestern was not going to have to throw a pass. It, you know, it, it was – you could just see it. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many times the last couple of years where you, you just – you kind of shrug your shoulders because you, you kind of feel like mm-hmm. that that's going to happen. I started to get that feeling with Husker football. It's been there for a while. But I remember it was near the end of the bow tenure, that game at home against Michigan State where – Connor Cook kept completing third downs and third downs. And ever since then, it feels like any time there's a third down and like seven or more in a big situation, I, I, ex- I expect Nebraska to give it up. Trevor Simeon or whoever is just going to. I mean, Northwestern was 0 for 10 on third down going into that play. And that's a stat Nebraska had been terrible at all year. They were one of the worst in the country for most of the season. And they're actually having a great game on third down. As bad as their run defense was, they were stopping them on third down. Clayton Thorson looked like he wanted to throw it to Nebraska every time he throws it, and then he makes the best throw of the day on third and nine. After, by the way, and Lamar Jackson has played better football, but you just can't have a penalty where you're knocking a guy in the helmet 30 yards away from the ball before third and five, and you give a 15-yard flag that gives Northwestern just a trampoline jump to midfield. And the feeling like, okay, we're going to go score. And that's that's exactly what that penalty did. Just dumb football. Yeah, well, that kind of sums up Nebraska's play at times in that game and the season and the last few seasons. Their, their overtime stats are somewhat remarkable. Nebraska's the, won the coin flip all three times and has put up zero points. And basically overtime. zero yards. Yeah. I mean, you had the interception against Miami. First you had the, the inability to move the ball against Wisconsin. And then the just missed touchdown with Stanley Morgan at the end. And then just a four-play atrocious series against Northwestern. It just absolutely could not have had a worse series, I think. If they would have set out to try to have a worse one, I don't know what it would have been. Didn't the second down screen call kind of sum up everything, though? Because... Basically, it was the surest sign that Nebraska doesn't have anything in that situation right now where they're like, okay, you're really good at this, and you can hang your hat on that. So when you're in that spot, you just start reaching. You're like, okay, maybe we can, maybe we can, maybe we can surprise them with this, and and it's just that's no way to live. It's so baffling because a team that's maybe ten percent on screenplays over the last. 
two decades is running not just a screen. They're running a double action play with a fake out one direction and then a screen back the other way. Like, in what world can a team that isn't good at successfully doing a simple screen think they're going to pull this off in the, in overtime? And then on top of all of this, I go back to it. How do you not have any sort of understanding of where your team is at in this game, your strengths, the other team's strengths? It's third and five from the 40. You need a field goal to win this game. You're facing a team that's very comfortable playing in overtime, having done it two straight weeks. And you essentially just elect to you ran your play, it didn't work, and then you punt it into the like, – it just – I don't know. It felt like the for a team, for a coaching staff, up against the wall, the lack of urgency in that situation, the lack of understanding of who they are and what they are and what they needed to accomplish just makes no sense. And then um, – and you wrote about this in your, your breakdown. I mean, that whole drive started at, what, the seven because of indecision and a, and a penalty uh, yeah. to, to come out of, of the end. It just – it feels like they're so often their own worst enemy, and Saturday was as good of an example of you'll see of it, at least in the three years of Mike Riley. The, the crazy thing about that, the screen call on, on second down, they actually had it blocked. Like, it was blocked. And they Other happened. the guy that was right next to the. Because he fell down. The guy he fell in the right spot. The guy falls right in the spot where the running back is standing, and you can't get him the ball. Like, if you go back and look at that play and you freeze it right about the time that Tanner Lee pump fakes, everybody is blocked except for the guy who has fallen down right in front of Divine Zigbo. Like it, it was like that play, just the fact that it was called is one thing. But the to have that happen too, it's like of course. Like it's They have not had luck go their way this year. I mean or in recent years, but you make a lot of your own luck, and you put yourself in a lot of bad situations. You allow for these things to, to happen, and you allow for these discussions to be repetitive throughout this season. Well, if you don't throw if, 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 if you don't throw three red zone picks, they have at least two more wins right now. Probably. I mean, they probably win the game Saturday, we would say, right? They I mean, beat if you, Northern Illinois. They and you beat, beat Northern Illinois. I don't, I'm not going to go as far as to say they beat Wisconsin. It right. would have changed the tone of that game, but – um, you're six and three. I don't know how different the conversation is, but if I'm a coach, I would that would keep me up at night. Those those trips inside the twenty that you missed on. Yep. And then and then of course there was the bizarre post game with with Bob Diaco. I was which, hoping you just leave it at Bob. With <laughs> Bob, Bob. With Bob. I I'm not on that basis with him. He did call Bill Moose Mister Moose though yesterday, which you. I told you guys I really enjoyed, but um, what do you make of Bob Diaco the last few days? Which one? <laughs> Saturday or Tuesday? Let's start with Pick Saturday. I, I felt like I understood what he was trying to say on Saturday, and while ill-advised, I got where he was trying to go with it. I mean, it didn't it didn't make sense in the phrasing and, and how he chose to say it, but... It, it basically felt like he was simply trying to say that their defense isn't good enough to go all out against a run and also be able to stop pass play if that's what Northwestern chooses on that particular play. Basically, they have to pick their poison right, right now. And, and if he could have just said that in the cliched way that you just did or 99% of other coaches, 
this isn't even a discussion, but it became about strain and then a whole lot of can't you see that? Didn't you see that? That's what I saw. It was a weird moment um, that was picked up by every TV camera in that area. Um, and then he looked rather intense while having the whole discussion to begin with. So it, people were off and running with it. And then on Tuesday night, it was added to. <laughs> All of a sudden, you've got a slap fight between a current and a current defensive coordinator and a former defensive coordinator about tackling and how it was coached. and Which is funny because neither of their schemes are overly aggressive. So you see this slap fight where they're both in the defensive, you know. Not very defensive. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, like, it's I, – I get the – I also understood the point he was trying to make, I think. Right. On yeah. Saturday. I, I, should, I should couch that a um, But you go to – Back to August, when I I forget who it was that asked Mike Riley in in one of his preseason press conferences, was essentially asked, "Is this a rebuilding year? Uh, Should should it be seen that way?" And he said no. And I I think he said no because you have to say no. You can't you can't say yes. I think that you know we're going to be changing, have have a big changeover with a new quarterback. Completely new defensive season. This is going to take there's defensive system. This is going to take time. Even though that's the truth, I think you can't say that in year three. Um, you can't push the reset button. I mean, the, the, there's not the patience in the fan base. So when, when Bob Diaco comes out and starts making this case, which I, I think his ultimate point is, is that he needs more time. And while that might be true, and I think it is true. I mean, you, I talked to linebackers from Wisconsin at Big Ten Media Days about, you know, how does a transition from a 4-3 to 3-4 work? They said the first year was a little rough, second year was great. But the reality is, is with, with where things are now, you do not have, you, you can't make that that argument. And you go back to kind of what um, uh, that original press conference, you know, Mike Riley made a little bit of a risk by hiring Bob Diaco and, and having that much of a changeover because things had to um, – you, you had to show results quickly, and mm-hmm. you're not getting them. And in, in compounding that, you have – that's just one side of the ball. Your offense isn't helping you out at all. Right. And that's kind of the subtext of the whole thing, yeah. right? I mean, when we're talking about strain – Yeah, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the offense putting the defense in tough position. He's – more or less said it. I mean, he yesterday he was talking about, you know, when you're inside the 20, you're up seven, you're thinking you're going to get three points, and then suddenly none. You know, that's that's talking about strain and the offense letting you down without just flat saying it. So, yeah, it's uh, it was kind of mind-boggling. I think he came here and obviously expected, you know, I'm going to get two or three years to build this up the way I want to do it. But as a guy who has coached at – Notre Dame and been in places, you know, played at Iowa and now is at Nebraska. There should be an understanding in the profession if, you know, if you're four and five at a school like this, you're in trouble. I mean, you're not going to get time when you go five and seven or something like that. Yeah. And they've had some personnel decisions that have been, you know, worth questioning and everything else. It's just a. Which ones? Get into that a little bit. Which ones do you think are? Which well, I mean, you moved DiCaprio Boodle to safety. 
for a game against one of the best offenses in the country, and I'm not entirely sure that's ever been explained why that decision was made when there's questions about whether he's big enough to play corner. And Boodle has been a fine player for him. He's one that I think they actually really like quite a bit, uh, and they're hoping to see more growth from. But you sort of put him in position to not be overly successful. And then, you know, Saturday is a great example. You're down with injuries, and so you're you're kind of scrambling to put people in positions. But how many plays has Stovall played this year? And then all of a sudden he's in on a key third down and being asked to, to cover what is probably the one option on that play for Thorson, given where he throws the ball usually. He's not a sideline guy. Throws a lot of passes over the middle of the field. And Stovall's tasked with covering the guy that he's going to look at first. And just got absolutely destroyed off the line of scrimmage. And so um, whether that's a – you lay that on the feet of Bob Diaco or not, but they've just been in situations. They spent all spring, all spring preparing Alex Davis to play cat linebacker. Wasn't even close. Who do you have – and then you get into the fall and you're using all of fall camp and you didn't have anything else ready to go. It, it just – you know what you inherited. You knew what you had when you were here in the spring. It felt like they thought there was going to be a lot more progression than probably what ended up in that case. And if you think about it, they didn't inherit somebody like Luke Gifford that was able to kind of play linebacker in a way that they probably weren't planning on. That whole unit is a, is a dumpster fire at that point. I mean, you have two guys that are fine inside in Weber and, and Young, but are – really exposed when forced to cover and have had okay to solid seasons. Uh, Muhammad Barry has struggled, I think, in recent weeks. I think we've all kind of seen that. Avery Roberts hasn't come along as you want. I mean, the, the progression and the development in some levels of this defense, you just haven't seen enough, and you haven't seen guys step up and improve. And, and so it's just you got to lay that on the feet of, of your defensive coordinator and, and – He's got to get more out of his position coaches in some regard than his players. The thing that I kind of struggle with with the transition and the argument for more time, you know, if you don't feel like you have the backers to to run that system right away, do you, is there anything you can scheme where you ease that transition? It's essentially what Nebraska did offensively with Tommy Armstrong as their quarterback. Right. You know, if it's if it doesn't look good and you know it doesn't look good, and you know that you need more time. And I, th- I think people agree that you know maybe it would look better next year. But why do you continue to square peg round hole it if you're not getting the results that you want? Why do you have four you, linebackers on the want? field against four wide receivers? Why is Alex Davis expected to cover mm. the running back in a wheel route? Why, I mean, I, all your questions are fair. I'd, I'd single out. Carlos Davis too is a guy who I you know I think he's one of the most talented guys you have on the defensive side of the ball and I feel like he's been negated this year I mean I don't feel like you're you're not finding ways to get the most out of a player like that who is one of the best guys on your roster or can be one of the best guys and that's disappointing I mean I got to think it's really frustrating for a guy like Carlos you know where you're you're going hard every snap and you're knowing that it's not really always set up for you to to get get stuff done you know I mean though especially early in the year when the ball was coming out quick and I, I think those guys felt like they weren't even part of the game sometimes right you know, the way it was set up and 
that's that's what you worry about is guys like that and and where their mind is after nine games into the season where it feels like they're fighting and fighting but what's what's the payoff here yeah i mean those first few games too i mean it was almost like a seven on seven tournament just because you you didn't have the ball was coming out quick you had no pass rush really and uh i mean that's true i mean i think some of your more talented guys on that defense are in the front three or four. And, I mean, you you really haven't seen them at all this year. But the bigger question is why did the dam break so bad with that Wisconsin-Purdue-Northwest? I mean, they look like they had figured out, okay, here's how we can stop the run, and now they can't set an edge. I mean, you're just getting killed on the outside. Linebackers aren't where they need to be. I get that you've got some injuries and things going on, but it, it felt like – they had things sort of figured out in that three-game stretch against, and I know I'm saying <laughs> Illinois Rutgers and Northern Illinois, so I get it that they're not offensive firepower there. But neither is Northwestern, and so um, or Purdue for that matter. So what what happened? Why did it feel like guys regressed? I mean, I I think that those are a lot of the fair questions you can ask of Bob Diaco that are a year one thing still. It ultimately doesn't matter. I mean, if, if this goes where I think most of us see it playing out, you're not going to see it year two. So my thing is, I'll be curious what this defense is going to look like if you have to transition back to a 4-3. Are they in shape to do that? I, I mean, what would be different, though? It's not like they were recruiting for a 3-4. Well, they, they didn't have as many pieces as they wanted, but they just they feel like they don't have – who on the defense right now do you feel good about going into next year? In a different in a different defensive system? In any defensive system. They lack playmaking all over this team. It's it's obvious. I think you feel good about the defensive line. I, th- I think Carlos and Khalil Davis. I would say I think Damian Daniels is going to be a player. I think he's a guy that should have probably played this year. Um, I think you put 20 pounds on DeAndre Thomas. I think that looks a little different. Linebackers, I, th- I think that's going to be tough. Um, you know, I think Avery Roberts is going to have to come along quick, but you know, you, you don't have a lot of proven guys. You still don't have a an outside backer that's going to get after the quarterback, which I mean, that's that's going to be an issue regardless next year. And, and in the secondary, I mean, you have some veteran guys, but um, you know, I, I agree. I mean, I think there's certainly question marks about that defense. I also think there's guys who are players who aren't being utilized in the system. At all. So. They just aren't healthy either. I like uh, young guys. I like Stilly and Colin Miller. I think you can do some things with those guys, who, whoever's in charge. As defensive ends or outside linebackers or a combination? I, <laughs> I, I think both are actually their best spot as end. But Stilly is a throwback type guy to me. I mean, I think, I think he has a lot of good football for this program ahead of him because he's just an effort guy. He's just constantly – like I think of the play um, – he, he makes mistakes, don't get me wrong. But the play uh, – was it, was it the road game where he tracked down a running back 30 yards down the field? That's a play a lot of young guys wouldn't make. He, he was out of the play and, and – got himself back into the play, and I think you can build off that. On the back end, even though we haven't seen him much in games, Doman's got to be critical next year. Um, there's no question Reed, about you that. You still have Williams, but you have question marks at corner. They're okay at safety. Corner is a worry, and there was, you know, the hope was recruiting could 
fill that up still might you don't know what's going to happen there that's a position where if you get a top notch corner he can come in and make a difference right away but sometimes but right now you'd say that's a that's a giant red flag out there yeah that's not taking anybody or getting anybody in last last year's recruiting class really hurt him i mean obviously elijah blades not qualifying but i mean that that was an area i think where they needed some depth quickly and uh i mean you've got everybody back aside from chris jones but that's gonna look pretty scary i think but not just to completely take the stick to the pinata on diaco's defense but it in some ways it feels like we don't know what some guys can do just because of the nature of their scheme and how you're not asked to do. how tip they're yeah. on their tiptoes i'm doing a tiptoe impersonation right now i wish everyone could see this is good radio yeah it's amazing these guys are just laughing their heads off about it <laughs> but uh you know some of these guys might be pretty good football players in another scheme where they're allowed to pin their ears back a little bit more football cliche but we don't know yeah. We just don't know right now. I mean, Nebraska hasn't had a scheme where it's been an aggressive defense in a while. It was a, People were mad about Polini that didn't blitz enough. Your safeties, your too high look all the time. With Banker, it was a spill defense that reacted but didn't, you know, wasn't aggressive, didn't take the fight to the offense. What do they and have, then, 11 sacks? What is that? So what's Nebraska had 11 sacks? Yeah, the lowest in the power five, I think. Mm-hmm. So... Um, it's been a while since you've had what you would call an attacking defense. I didn't even know who I mean, it wasn't Cosgrove. I mean, you could argue the the two thousand nine two thousand ten by simply just having the personnel that they did was an attacking defense, but it wasn't set up that way so much schematically. Yeah, I probably have to go back to what like two thousand three. Polini's one year. Yeah, they. I mean, they caused a lot of ruckus that year. I think I mean Demario Williams made that look pretty good. I like the phrase "caused a lot of ruckus." <laughs> Bring the ruckus. Well, that's what the fans want. The fans want the ruckus. They're going to see the ruckus in Minneapolis, so that'll be. Are a... they? Let's <laughs> let's jump into this. <laughs> I was saying. Well, you tried. You tried. <laughs> they uh, it's going to be like Big Ten West football at its finest. You've got two teams, kind of on the schneid a little bit. That don't want to be there. <laughs> don't want to be there. It's going to be. Wintry mix for the weather. Uh, 11 a.m. on FS1. Uh, insert your Beth Moen's jokes there. Um, I'm not going to do that. You can't uh, yeah. do that in this climate. The, on, the <laughs> it, it just has the, the feeling of a game that's going to be like 17-14 with about five combined turnovers. I'm, I'm advising, you know, if you're in a car, there's young children. Maybe uh, put the earmuffs on. What Brunts is describing is commonly known as a shit fest. This oh, game, you allowed to say that? Whoa, I thought this was a family podcast. Well, I advised earmuffs. I gave him a three-second warning. What do you want? My mom occasionally yeah. listens. Oh, like, on. she's listened once or twice. We, she's going to be like, who's that Schaefer boy? Yeah. <laughs> How much are you hanging around him outside the podcast? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> probably not that much. Apologize to her, please. Look, I, I'm not going to apologize. That describes what this game is going to be. It's going to be ugly. Nobody is going to want to watch it. And you guys mentioned neither team really wants to be there. Though, Minnesota has the caveat that this is a coach that they'll be playing for for a while. He's certainly going to try to get them it's into a big pos- game for him. position to get to a bowl game. 
Uh, Nebraska still has an outside chance of getting to a bowl game. So there is stuff to play for. Um, Mick Stoltenberg told me that that's kind of been the message, you know, for him and the defensive line group that finish it out and try to get to a bowl game. I mean, that's what you got left to play with some pride, play for Nebraska and try to do that. I mean, it, Skeptics are going to scoff at that, but that's what they—that's yeah. their the, the carrot. That's the motivating right. factor. They have. I mean, Minnesota's quarterback situation is abysmal right now, and if he looks good Saturday, that's just the ultimate. I mean, there's been shake your head moments this year. That will be the new low if Demry Croft lights it up. They—they they, the stat where he had five completions last week and was also sacked five times is one of the more humorous ones I've I've seen. So that's what they're playing with, but. I mean, you're right. If, if if you're a player, what would matter to me at this point is if they lose out, which I think some people think is possible, if, especially if they lose Saturday, um, then suddenly you're in the company of worst Husker records since Bill Jennings, 1961. And I don't know. If I'm on a, <laughs> if I'm on a team, I don't want to be associated with that 2017 bunch that gets brought up in 2042 you know as oh yeah remember the team that went four and eight worst modern record you hope it's the worst if that were the case but um that that's what you're trying to avoid and that might seem like a small thing but it wouldn't be to me if i were on a team i just wouldn't want to be connected to that if if nebraska is able to stop the run this weekend do they win yeah what do you mean by stop the run like hold them down what is that limit it like if they if they hold Minnesota to like 150 on the ground, are they winning? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I shouldn't say that unequivocally. There's still a chance for multiple interceptions turned for touchdowns. <laughs> That's what I was getting short at. Field. I mean, this team has invented new and exciting ways to not win games. So I I shouldn't say that one statistic would matter enough that Nebraska will absolutely win if they limit Minnesota to 150 yards rushing. But I don't – I mean, I'm going to be very curious what this team looks like. coming. They're already slow starters as it is. And now you feel like there's not a whole lot to play for. And it's going to be cold and ugly and terrible at 11 in the morning on Saturday. Like, are they going to be coming out ready to go? That's a fair question. And there's been times where they haven't and – the season wasn't where yeah. it is right now. So. It doesn't make sense to me either. That that part has never made sense to me with any team, really. I mean, if we started playing dominoes right now, I would want to beat you really bad. And if you step on the field and you only get like 12 or 13, yeah, we might play after this. But <laughs> if you get like 12, 13 games a year and you have to work all off season and show up at 5 o'clock and – you know, January, these guys put in a lot of hours. I just can't see how you can't be like ultra motivated to go out there. And sometimes I wonder, cause we always, I think make this excuse for Nebraska when they lose like, Oh, effort lacking. You know, you always hear people like, Oh, they don't care. I've wondered if it's a far worse thing. It's the effort. The guys care. They're just, just not, not that good. good. Yeah. And well, sometimes you got to say that. We and know that, that they're not that good. I know, and that's the part. I think sometimes you just got to allow that and say, well, maybe they do care and they just kind of stink. When you see games like Purdue where you had two weeks to prepare and your offense is just utterly anemic, 
but your defense is in that game. I mean, it's just uh, it's just weird. It, it just feels like, for whatever reason, the balance has never been – it's never found an equilibrium. It's yeah. always up or down. They, they start off northern Illinois and Wisconsin with those drives that ended up scoring on them, but you see them against – those are two really good defenses. Northern Illinois is one of the best defenses Nebraska played this year. Mm-hmm. People don't maybe understand that or know that, but they move the ball on that first drive down the field and just look like this is they could do it all day. And they did it against Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden it's gone. And yet they start against Northwestern. Or when they have the opportunity to take a lead or expand on the lead against Northwestern, they couldn't do it. It's just I don't understand where that comes from. And I don't know if it's a focus thing. I don't know if it's a play calling. I don't know if it's just they're not that good, which I think it's part of it. It just it doesn't. And so effort becomes sort of the buzz catch-all for that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I mean, we do it way too much. We, we absolutely do. But it just it doesn't make sense how you can be so up and down as much as they seemingly are. Yeah, and sometimes you think – I know coaches have said this before. Sometimes a guy thinks he's at maximum level and he isn't. Like he doesn't realize there's something more. And that's where it comes to having guys, coaches and stuff that inspire you to a point where, yeah, you do have something more in you. You know, it's just like if you're doing the bench press, you don't think you can do 10 more pounds or whatever. And you can. I use 10 for me because that's. Like, you know, talking about... Well, you get like, the bar in there, too. Yeah. I mean, that's a good 55 pounds. Yeah. With 10 on each side, 65 pounds. Well, right? I, I wasn't saying that I'm that low on, with my bench, but... You, you did say 10. Well, I meant, like, if I was at, like, let's say 145, I could go up to 150. So what you're saying is you, you really empty the tank at 150 versus 145. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Go with that. <laughs> Well, we've we've covered a lot of ground here in football. I think and, we did. And, and BC talked about inspiring, and I couldn't think of anything more inspiring than Michael Brunt's telling us about basketball right now and where they're at and what to expect out of this team after their riveting win over Northwood. An undefeated exhibition season, I would point out. Two, two wins over Power 5 competition, including Which, Iowa State. The running joke is going to be that that could be more than the two wins that they could get during the regular season against Power 5 competition. I mean, I don't think that's the case. That's kind of low-hanging fruit, isn't it? don't many, do they? During the, the, during non-con- the non-conference? You have Kansas, which I'm going to chalk up as a loss. If you consider Creighton as a, as a power conference with the Big East. I'd say the Big East is power. That's a, that's a 50-50. You have BC, which should be a win. St. John's, they're in the Big East. Oh, I forgot about the St. John's Chris game. Chris Mullen's still there. He is. That St. John's game is coming. I mean, people could have double dipped. Could have went to St. John's, Nebraska, and then Penn State, Nebraska I, later I, that week. I believe in the tournament in Orlando, there's also a outside chance that they match up with... West Virginia. West Virginia as well, and, and Huggy Bear. So, um, there's potential there. For, so, you're taking the over. That's what I'm hearing here. Uh, yeah, why not? Uh, so they finished up the exhibition season last night with a very um, limited group. Isaiah Roby didn't play because of a finger injury. Uh, Glenn Watson was a, stra- a scratch because of a swollen bursa sack. Ouch. Mm-hmm. And um, also no Anton Gill because of some knee swelling and a groin issue. Um, so the first half was ugly. It was a little ugly. They uh, 
turn the ball over, which this team apparently has battled through most of the preseason. Um, and, and then you kind of saw things revert to the mean a little bit in the second half. James Palmer finished with 27 points, uh, you know, a real quiet 27 points, which is going to be – he's going to be interesting to watch for Nebraska fans, I think, this year. He scored 27 points last night on 11 shots. And he's a guy that gets to the rim. He gets fouled. Um, and and I, I think he's going to be a focal point for Nebraska's offense, but not in the same way that you've maybe seen over the last few years where the ball would go to Terran Petaway, the ball would go to Siobhan Shields, the ball would go to Ty Webster – and then you'd have guys just kind of standing around on the perimeter watching. So I, I think that they're they're going to get out a little bit more and run, especially with Watson in the game. And, you know, I, I would probably tend to read a little bit more into um, the, the first two exhibitions versus the last one because it seemed like Northwood, you know, they, they had 20 offensive rebounds. They were pretty charged up at the start of that game. And, you know, probably a little bit of a lesson for Nebraska to be um, – to, to basically play hard. I mean, I, I think that was the issue in the first half is that they were uh, kind of lollygagging a little bit. Where is Northwood located? Uh, that is in Michigan. And the team they're playing Saturday, didn't they beat Illinois? They did. They uh, – Eastern Illinois knocked off Illinois in an exhibition. So, I mean, the the you look at the schedule, it gets pretty hard pretty quickly. I mean, you've got – you open with Eastern Illinois, you got North Texas, and you have to go on the road for St. John's. Uh, you, know, you, you play UCF uh, in mid-November, who was uh, pretty far in the NIT last year. Yeah, they're a uh, Final Four in the NIT. Yeah, you've got West Virginia on that schedule. I mean, Boston College, I, I think they should be able to handle. But then you get into that stretch where you got Michigan State, Minnesota, Creighton, and Kansas, four straight games at the start of December. It, it's this gonna, Big Ten schedule is just terrible and they're going to 20 games now just terrible so you know i i think when you're kind of talking ceiling for this team i I think if things kind of come together for them i could see you know maybe eighth in in the conference maybe Mm -hmm. seventh if if things really break right um but if you do that in a decent year in the big 10 that's in the tournament or right on the bubble in that conversation so uh it'll be interesting but do they have the guy who can uh, who can shoot it from the outside? I mean, even even if he's a guy that uh, he's going to have off nights, but the other side has to say, okay, we have to at least respect this guy beyond the arc. Like Ray Gallegos, I know took some crap because sometimes he'd be completely off, but I always thought, well, at least he's out there and the defense has to recognize him and it opens up the floor. Yeah, I mean, that's I think they hope that Thomas Allen is that kind of player. Um, you know, he started last night. I think finished with 18 points. Um, knocked down a couple threes early in that game. I, I, I think that's one guy that they're hopeful that can do that. I think Isaac Copeland's probably struggling with the shot a little bit right now, but he's a guy that can shoot it from outside. Glenn Watson seems like, you know, he's put in a lot of work. I mean, it's a little more arc on it this year. A little more arc. A little yeah. less of a uh, line drive hooded three iron. Yeah. Um, I, I think that. I mean, the, the three-point line is going to be key for this team. Can they shoot it? And can they defend it? Um, you know, I think the fact that they have more length on the perimeter will help with the defense. Um, but, you know, it's a matter of can they make the shots. I mean, they made eight three-pointers in the first half against Mississippi State, and then I think they were over 13 in the second half. Mm-hmm. So it, it might be that kind of a year, but, you know, you, you hope that maybe you make up the difference there with, you know, some easier transition baskets running a little bit, which I know they want to do, not like – 
Danny Knee, but uh, they're they're at least going to push the pace a little bit. What do they get out of uh, Iceland product Thorir Thor Bjarnarson? Well, the the conversation right now is about him potentially redshirting, so maybe not much. But I, I think he's a guy that did he play? He played last night. Um, looked a little wide eyed. I think is a fair way to put it. Yeah, Northwood comes for you. He, uh, both him and, and <laughs> <laughs> both he and Nana Akinton uh, are, are in the conversation right now to potentially redshirt. Really, I think Nebraska would prefer that they do. Uh, really, that's rare, especially with Thor, who showed up in August, very much needs uh, some time in the weight room. Ten extra pounds on the yeah. Get, needs get, to get that American food, not that Icelandic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Fermented shark. Yeah, a little less fermented shark, a little more, uh, a little more weight lifty. So that'll be decided this week. But in, in a more serious question, what is the role? Of that wasn't a serious question. Well, I, I <laughs> knew what the answer was going to be. But what is the role of somebody like Jack McVeigh for this year's team? I mean, he's got to shoot. He's got to make shots from the outside. I mean, that, he, that's that's the kind role. Of a fascinating guy because when they won some games last year, when they beat Purdue. When they beat a couple teams, I mean, he had these nights where he's clearly capable of, of kind of being that quiet assassin. Is that kind of what you're hoping, that he's going to give you minutes off the bench and, and shoot from the corner? I think you, you hope he gives you minutes off the bench. He shoots from the outside and makes those shots and isn't too much of a defensive liability. I mean, I think that's pretty much the what the role would be carved out for him. I, I would see him, if you have everybody healthy, probably being your – ninth guy off the bench. I mean, I think you don't want to say that he's like in Brian Conklin territory where he's only out there to shoot threes, but I mean, that, well, that's kind of... to make a hell of a lot more to be in Brian Conklin territory. That, that's kind of where he is. So, I mean, it's... Last night he was kind of struggling with, with rebounding and got out-hustled for some of those, but um, I, I think his role is definitely to go down, knock, knock, knock down outside shots. And with Doobie OKK, uh, is he going to be a human highlight reel of thunder dunks and blocks? Uh, well, he had two two goaltending calls last night, I believe. All right. Um, Sending a message. Yeah, I like mean. Like Ewing. You, you got you to gotta get in there early and do that stuff. But, I mean, he's going to be a guy that probably gives you a few points a game, some rebounds. Well, I don't care if he scores. I just want to see some block shots. He'll probably block a few both legally and illegally uh, in, in the game. Brent's so. already calling him a cheater. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, he's but he's the kind of post player that I, I think Nebraska probably hasn't had that you really have to respect in the lane for a few years. So what? Uh, what's the prediction? NIT? I think that's probably a, a, a good one for this team. I, mm-hmm. I think things come together. Like 17 and 15? Yeah, I think so. Do they play 30, 30 games on the schedule? 10 and 20? Is that what it is? 10 non Well, it's thrown off because of that. The tournament. The yeah. tournament's counted as one game, but they can play up to three. They'll play three, right? It's a guaranteed three games. Yes. Yeah. And then you have the one game at least in the Big Ten tournament. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think, like I said, if, if things kind of break right, I could see where you get towards the end of the end of Big Ten play. And you're in that conversation on the bubble if things go right. Because, I mean, you, you, you look at the way that their schedule's set up. It's really front-loaded. The NIT bubble or the NCAA bubble? Oh, he's a believer! Wow. If things, we got a believer. If things break right. Okay. 
couch. Oh, wow. Out of it. Uh, <laughs> what kind of fun is that? Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think they'll finish better than 13th, which is where they were picked. But I, I think you got to have things really go right to get Who's 14th? Uh, probably Rutgers, right? Rutgers beat Nebraska. So? I mean, last year's last year. Rutgers had a somewhat interesting team last year, I felt like. They, they, all seniors. they had that one guy. What was that? Oh, that one guy. That one guy. You know, that guy. He could score. They had a score. One guy. Can't yeah. think of his name. It doesn't matter. <laughs> It'd be He's great if his name Rutgers. was one guy. <laughs> oh, one guy. W-U-N. That's probably D-U-N. what coaches in the Big Ten when they're scouting Rutgers, they're like, yeah, they got that one guy. One guy. They just got to shut him down. They got, a, they got a new coach. They, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. They do. I don't know anything about Nebraska <laughs> basketball, if I'm being entirely honest. You want to make people just quit the podcast, start talking about Rutgers basketball probably well, at length. We're about a minute in here, and it's, <laughs> I'm thinking about pulling the eject button here. All right, that's fine. We can move on. Uh, anything else we want to cover before we just end this and people get to watch Nebraska what, and What's your Minnesota? score for the game Saturday? Okay. We yeah. still got dominoes after this, by the way. You can oh, give, yeah, a, right. give a basketball and football score quick. I, I don't even know if I could do a basketball score. Uh, East, it's Eastern Illinois. Just, just make a prediction. Like, some, Are you in or out? Some team has a 70, some team has 62 Nebraska yeah. over Eastern Illinois. Nine points. That's they got to pull away late? I don't know. It's just the two numbers that I picked. Okay. And then I have Minnesota winning 9-6 to six in an all-field goal game. I'll BC. take Nebraska in hoops, 72-59. Um, to 59. And I will take... You know what? It's going to be a three-point game in football, so like a three- or four-point game either way. I'll I'll go with Nebraska, 23-20. to 20. Okay. I'm going to go Nebraska basketball, 82 Ooh, okay. points. Uh, Eastern Illinois, 65. Wow. Comfortable win. Uh, I'm going to go... Again, against my best ideas, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Nebraska football. Nineteen boat rowers, seventeen. It's not a good team they're playing. Nebraska's not a good team either, as we established this whole thing. But I mean, Minnesota's got some problems. Too. All field goals, nineteen to seventeen. Well, yours wouldn't be all field goals. No. All right. Well, does that cover? Everything? Is there anything else we need to, to mention? Nebraska hosted some visitors. The visits went well. We don't really know what that means until we know where this thing is going. So I don't want we'll to you know dwell on any of that. It's going to get hot, though, in a few weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to get fun. I think this podcast has potential. This wasn't one of our better our better days, I feel like. but Because we just sat down and said, let's go? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, I, not so much that. It's just, what are you talking about? We can discuss that off podcast. We'll all remember where we were when the first S bomb was dropped on this podcast, yeah. though. I think I've used it before, at least before Brian's mother was listening, and I realized that she's probably not listening. So <laughs> you're fine. She, she pulled the eject button with the Rutgers <laughs> well, you know, basketball talk. You know who is listening? The great people that frequent Nebraska.247Sports.com, where you can get all of your information on Nebraska football recruiting basketball now and just about anything else and if anything should happen towards the end of the season nebraska247sports.com 
is where you want to be for that information. Sign up for a free trial today. You can get seven days for free and check out all of the VIP content or be sure to stop by for anything else that we have.